You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I am so happy to have with me Rebecca Boudreau. Rebecca is president and CEO of Oberon Fuels, and we're going to talk dimethyl ether, DME, uh, today. So you're probably wondering, or for some of you anyway, what is DME? So Rebecca is going to talk to us uh, all about that. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tammy. And I hope everyone's not scared thinking we're going to have a chemistry lesson today. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's no. having flashbacks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That comes after the show. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, um, so can you talk to us a little bit, uh, first and foremost, about Oberon Fuels um, and what Oberon Fuels does? I kind of gave it away a little bit, but you can talk a little bit more about it. Yes. Uh, so thank you again, Tammy, for having me here. Uh, so Oberon Fuels is a California-based company that started almost 13 years ago in 2010. Um, and it uh, was really focused and continues to be focused on providing innovative solutions to help companies, industries, and countries decarbonize. Um, so how can everyone reduce their carbon footprint? What are innovative ways we can do that? Um, and the innovative solution we have focused on comes back to where we started today with dimethyl ether. Uh, so uh, we have a production plant today um, in uh, Southern California, uh, producing the world's uh, only commercial renewable DME today. That was the first renewable DME ever produced in the United States when it started producing it in 2021. Um, and we are excited to work uh, with uh, partners around the world, Suburban Propane, the third largest company in the U.S., Lipid Gas in South America. And in uh, 2023, we announced we are working with DCC, one of the world's largest LPG companies, and looking at European production and sales of renewable DME. Okay, so um, what is exactly... DME and why is renewable DME so important for those who may not know? Yes. So DME, again, you know, I know everyone's having flashbacks to high school chemistry and they're starting to sweat right now, <laughs> just thinking about it. Uh, but all you have to remember, <laughs> DME is just the small molecules are carbon connected to oxygen and carbon, and there's some hydrogens around it. You don't even have to remember that. But what's important about DME is it's actually a very useful molecule that can help industries decarbonize. So for example, DME actually looks a lot like propane and propane is used um, to for transportation, home heating. There's a lot of uses of propane. And it looks, DME looks very similar, except you can make it from a lot of renewable feedstocks. So you can blend it in with propane, leverage that existing propane infrastructure uh, to utilize that DME. Um, and so th that's a really important key thing about DME. It's really easy to move, like propane, very portable molecule. So it also could be a way to move renewable hydrogen because it's hydrogen of the molecule. So besides the you know organic chemistry lesson, right, the carbons and oxygen hydrogens, one of the most important things as we think about how are we going to decarbonize the world is creating a more portable molecule 
from a lot of different waste streams. And that molecule is DME that can leverage the global LPG or propane infrastructure. So how do you make a low carbon intensity DME? Yeah, so, so low carbon intensity is all about the feedstock with which you start. Um, so when you think about DME, um, you can make pretty much any organic waste um, or organic product can be used to make DME. So you think of cow manure, pig manure, chicken litter, wood, uh, waste went from trees when you make pulp for cardboard boxes that Amazon delivers to your house every day, or maybe that's just me. Uh, but <laughs> there's a lot of different organic waste streams that you can use uh, to make DME. Um, so we currently, the renewable DME we produce at Ora in Southern California takes a waste stream that comes from trees. So it's naturally occurring in trees as a source of methanol. You break down those trees to make pulp. Uh, there is a waste stream of methanol there that didn't have a use. And so we clean that up and we're making renewable DME out of it. Our next production facility, which we will announce um, in 2023, we have shared that its name is Titania, and it'll be the world's first carbon-negative renewable DME. That will come from a biogas, so the breakdown of manure and of methane and carbon dioxide to make DME. So one of the reasons why I, I really have been wanting to have you all on is that you, in part, serve a market, you know, with all of the discussion and talk about decarbonization, there's lots of focus on decarbonizing liquid fuels like, you know, gasoline and diesel, you know, electrification or e-fuels or transitioning to hydrogen, which I also want to ask, ask you about. But there is like a pretty significant, when you look at it, and I can't remember the percentages, but there is a significant pool out there of LPG um, and propane being used out there in this market. And it's like, yeah, how do we reach, you know, decarbonization of, you know, that pool as well? And I, I think sometimes that gets a little bit lost in the, you know, decarbonization, you know, shuffle. I mean, it's not like, you know, you've seen President Biden, for example, in the U.S., um, you know, out there on the podium talking about, <laughs> oh, we really need to decarbonize LPG, but this is a market, you know, that is, you know, going to be needing this, you know, as well. So I guess, so that that's why I'm just, you know, really intrigued about this because it's sort of like this little, there's like this little blip of space around, okay, well, what are we doing with, with, with LPG? And here we have a, a really good solution. So question to you is how do you see the market, um, the RDME market growing in particular for LPG replacement? And then I'm really intrigued to learn more about, you know, RDME as a hydrogen carrier, because hydrogen's like your visa, you know, it's everywhere you want to be uh, right now. And it's all about, yeah, what are the carriers in the future going to, to be like? So can you, can you talk about those two sort of market dynamics going on? Yes. And Tammy, you raise a, a great point. And there hasn't been a lot of discussion, you know, at the, the government level, how are we going to decarbonize LBG or propane, right? Right. But it's Fascinating because it had the L global LPG industry has comparable emissions to the aviation industry. Oh wow! Right? Yes, and I so, didn't know that. Wow! 
<laughs> and so, and but aviation, um, and it's very exciting to see all the work that's been done on sustainable aviation fuel has gotten so much focus. I mean, oh, yeah. You have the President Biden and, and governors across the country are always talking about in the US about sustainable aviation fuel. Um, you see it um, elsewhere in Europe and around the world. Um, and I love, you know, flying objects, right? So it's a lot more fun to talk about planes sometimes. But when we're thinking about how do we decarbonize the world, what innovative solutions are we going to bring to a comparably sized industry and to help them decarbonize? And that's why we find it very exciting um, at Oberon to be able to offer renewable DME as a way for LPG to start blending in product today. It is actually happening today. Suburban propane started in um, 2022. Uh, they started blending in Oberon's renewable DME and selling it to forklift customers um, and to uh, on-road vehicles uh, for use. Um, now they're up to 450 customers in Southern California, continue to expand the rollout of the product. And we're excited because, as I mentioned earlier, having new production um, announcements this year, so more product coming on the market. And so it's happening today. Um, and it gives an opportunity to help this industry decarbonize. But as you said, it also sets the stage for other things like renewable hydrogen. Another, you know, again, talking about flying objects is very attractive and sexy and people want to talk about how we decarbonize the aviation industry. And it's very important. We also have to talk about decarbonizing the LPG industry but also leveraging this global network of assets, tanks, trucks, um, dispensers. How can we use that existing equipment and the 4 million people working globally in this industry who have been safely transporting molecules for over a century in some places, wow. right? And, that, and leveraging that knowledge on how to move molecules um, safely is very valuable. And they can use that knowledge to move other molecules that have a lower carbon footprint. So renewable DME, mm -hmm. and then tra by transporting renewable DME with those existing assets, they also can be transporting renewable hydrogen because at the point of use, you can pull the hydrogens off of renewable DME and, um, and then you don't have the challenge of transporting renewable hydrogen that you have if you pull off the hydrogens earlier. Wow. It, I mean, it's just so, so um, interesting. I mean, for years, you know, the, the focus has really been on, you know, sort of, again, like the LPG industry, but it's really exciting with everything that's, that's kind of been happening around hydrogen to, yeah, to be able to leverage that existing infrastructure. It's already there. And by the way, it's kind of interesting. Like if you look at, um, you know, if you look at studies or you look at market reports, there's like a giant blank spot. Like, you know, I feel like you guys might be the only ones right now talking about, oh, you know, you can leverage this infrastructure and you can bring that into the, you know, the the hydrogen value chain. I'm not really seeing it outside. I'm not really seeing that discussed, you know, in the, in the trade media or in the, the public domain outside of maybe, you know, some, some academic studies, but it's really exciting because I think that's where the transition happens. It's, it's building on what we have, um, you know, along with creating, you know, addi additional infrastructures that may be needed to support other aspects of decarbonization. But yeah, you've got this whole global network 
of people who kind of know how to handle this stuff. Um, and it can be leveraged for this whole other other purpose. Right. And it's exciting too to see. So, you know, you have, you can start decarbonizing LPG today with renewable DME. And by them getting used to handling the product, you know, by the these markets taking off, they encourages more production with companies outside of Oberon and others coming into the marketplace and then teeing it up for renewable hydrogen. And so I agree with you, Tammy. You know, we don't hear others talking about it. <laughs> we see this amazing opportunity. Um, and that's why we started building in 2022 the world's first renewable hydrogen, uh, renewable DME to renewable hydrogen reformer, which is just a fancy way of saying the machine that pulls off the hydrogen. <laughs> uh, so you need some catalysts and you need heat. That's all you have to do to pull it off. And so we said, well, you know what? We're going to we're not just going to talk about it, we're going to build it. And we'll be deploying um, in the second half of 2023, we'll be deploying that uh, reformer at our site in Southern California to show, you know, nothing like educating about the concept, but also to have real steel in the ground to show people this is how you do it. Um, and then that could be deployed to a customer site who's using the renewable hydrogen. Um, and the LPG industry has an important role to play in this. Um, and so it, it's exciting to see and just to keep pushing forward. And, you know, again, coming back to our roots of what are the innovative solutions that we can offer the world to help them decarbonize? So let's go back to what's happening with, within the, the company. What if, what have been some of the big milestones, um, you know, for the company, especially over the last few years. And can you talk about expansion, um, your expansion plans? Because I mean, in 2010, it was, you know, that, that 2010 to 2015 pre-Paris agreement period. I mean, you know, having worked in, in biofuels for many, many, many years, I mean, Oh, those were some lean times. <laughs> those were some tough times. I mean, and there are companies that sort of didn't make it out of that, you know, R&D, TRL, <laughs> uh, valley of death, you know, as as it were. So you, you guys have seen a lot. You, you've done a lot. Um, and um, yeah. So what are you guys planning for for the future? Where have you been? Where are you going? <laughs> yes. Well, it's been <laughs> quite a journey. Yes. As you said, the early days could often be lean. For us, you know, there was a, a pivot that happened in 2018. So in the early days of Obron, we really focused on DME as a diesel replacement. Mm -hmm. um, and DME continues to be an excellent diesel replacement. But what we zoomed out in 2018 and said, you know, DME is actually an enabling molecule. It can be blended with propane to enable the global propane LPG industry to decarbonize, but it also can be a source of renewable hydrogen to leverage that infrastructure we talked about. And so we started telling the bigger picture story of renewable DME and its superpowers. And that's in 2019, we actually won our first public funding ever from the state of California, because by telling that bigger picture story, we could offer a solution to the state of California that's driving innovation, trying to find other ways to reduce the carbon footprint of many industries. And so it was very exciting for us after over you know, eight or nine years to receive public funding. 
Um, so we were excited when the grant 2019, 2020, things were getting kicked off in a real way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an interesting time to scale because then um, the little friend called COVID uh, entered the picture. <laughs> and it was interesting because right at the time we were start to start to bring on um, the additional plant operators. So the funding from the state of California allowed us to upgrade our existing facility, which we first built in 2013. Um, to be able to handle renewable feedstock, this new renewable feedstock I talked about that comes from trees. And now it's time to bring the plant operations team on and get the plant up and running. Uh, And then June 2020, and the region our plant was located in, uh, one in four people were testing positive for COVID, and there was 27% unemployment. So people needed to get back to work, uh, but how do we do it and hire safely? And so the things we now take for granted about virtual interviews and hiring people you've never met. Uh, But, you know, we were figuring that out, but we were able to build a production team um, during this very challenging time for the world. Um, And that team, less than a year later, uh, in 2021, uh, May 2021, was the the team that produced the first renewable DME ever in the U.S. Wow. Um, and it was an exciting milestone for us in 2022. We announced with Suburban that they're selling the blended product to their customers in Southern California uh, and are excited to continue to see that progress. 2023, we announced the partnership with DCC for renewable DME production and sales in Europe. Uh, so expanding geographically, uh, the as I mentioned, that we'll titania our next production facility, world's first carbon negative renewable DME. We'll announce our partners, volumes, additional information um, later in the year. Uh, and also be able to deploy our renewable DME to renewable hydrogen reformer in the second half of 2023 at our plant in Southern California. And so, you know, again, innovation a continuing to drive forward, even during the most challenging times for our world, enable us to keep moving forward, making progress to help the world decarbonize. So those are some of the exciting milestones uh, that we've had and some that are to come later this year. So your um, CEO, um, obviously, um, what are some of the biggest both challenges, but also successes that you've had as, as CEO? You've been in the role for over 10 years and you know, I mean, quite honestly, there aren't that many female CEOs in energy, period. To me, there's like an extra sort of <laughs> dimension there. So for you, what has that been like? And yeah, what what have been the the challenges and, and also the successes? Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey. So you know, I've been focused on commercializing new technologies for now 20 years. Um, and I started during my graduate studies, you know, f- I started my first company with three of my colleagues in biotech. We were making uh, new molecules that can make existing chemotherapy drugs work better. Hmm. And this was my first adventure in early stage company world and building something out of nothing. But it, what it really taught me was becoming uncomfortable, or excuse me, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. being able to take steps forward without knowing what's going to come after that step. And when the path isn't clear, because in innovation, by its nature, no one has mm-hmm. done it before, right? right? And so if you're waiting for a clear path, it's never going to happen. 
And I think actually that's where my scientific training um, came into play is because, again, you're discovering new things in science, solving really complicated problems and trying to break it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I have, I guess, been a fish out of water <laughs> uh, throughout my journey. There aren't that many women in science. And as you go higher and uh, further in the education level, um, there are less and less women. I know the trend is changing for the better. Uh, and so in some ways, you know, I was accustomed to it, but it definitely got more evident as I went early stage company world, um, then went into the energy space. I mean, you know, the bright side is when I, you know, go to conferences, sometimes there's not a long line in the women's restroom. So I always took that. <laughs> <as a plus. laughs> but I look forward to the day when there's a long line. <laughs> that's funny. Yes, that's true. That's true. Having been to some of those conferences myself. Yeah. Um, no so- waiting. No waving. So, you know, it is, you are often, um, I, you know, I think the challenge is sometimes people remember you and it's a little hard for me to remember people because I, you know, there's, you know, if there's only five women speakers at the event, they, they often remember you. Um, but, and, you know, it's just interesting because sometimes I just have to remind myself, I, I want the world to be different for my daughter. Um, and it's definitely easier for me than it was a generation before me and two generations before uh, that. Uh, but, you know, I, I do have two young children. Uh, so uh, my daughter is six and my son is three. And so I would go to conferences and not just be a CEO who's female uh, in an energy running an energy company, but then I was pregnant. Oh, yes. <laughs> the things like I said often were like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why would you say that? But people just hadn't seen it before. Um, and so, you know, I really try to just take it with a grain of salt and have a sense of humor about it. Um, and, and sometimes it feels a little bit like a reality show, but knowing that, you know, there's a real opportunity to be a role model for other women. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they're coming up and talking about my journey, um, and hopefully that will help them say, oh, wait, that is possible, right? Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine what we don't see. In my um, undergraduate studies, I went to Southern Miss and I was part of their honors college and I had a dean, a Marine Ryan, with whom I still stay in contact. And she helped me see what I didn't even know was possible. Um, and encouraged me to think outside of the box as far as my career, what I wanted to do, encouraged me to pursue, are you interested in doing scientific research? So there's summer science programs. My The dean or the chair of the Palmer Science Department encouraged me. So I ended up doing research, which led me to pursue a PhD. So I had those people in my life who encouraged me to think bigger. And so I hope that I can encourage others to think bigger as well. So I want to go back to, um, you know, talking a little bit about the, the company and sort of the, the, some of the policy dynamics that are kind of around decarbonization, especially here in the U S but really globally as, as well. Um, first and foremost on my mind is how, you know, the inflation reduction act is sort of impacting, you know, your um, and your team's planning uh, for the the future, um, and is there enough? And and maybe I could ask as as well for for what's been happening um, in Europe under Fit for Fifty Five as well. Do you feel like there's enough policy support in place, you know, even with those types of you know 
programs, existing programs like the California Low Carbon Fuel Standard, you know, to really support uh, renewable uh, DME? Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, actually do think that there is um, enough support there. Um, but it's been interesting because in addition to innovating on technology, along the journey of Oberon, we've also had to innovate on the regulatory framework and policy because policy typically isn't written for innovation because it's not there yet when they write the rules, right? And it's, again, hard to imagine. And it's hard to write rules for things that don't exist. Right. Um, so during this journey, we have had to work very closely with regulators across the United States and particularly the state of California to adapt the rules for this innovative fuel renewable DME. Um, and so we have worked extensively. We had to change the California Code of Regulations in partnership with the state, uh, which happened in January 1st, 2015, to allow DME to even be legally sold in California as a fuel. Uh, creating consistent standards. Uh, what does the purity of DME look like? <laughs> How do we make sure we have the right quality product? Um, and, and so it now qualifies under the renewable fuel standard. O'Brien received a pathway to convert biogas to DME by the O'Brien process back in 2014. It will qualify to the low carbon fuel standard. You go through the pathway process. So it's been a journey just to the existing regulations to make sure it qualifies and mm -hmm. if maybe adapt the rules. Uh, but then also now the Inflation Reduction Act, and there's definitely opportunities both on the production tax credit side mm -hmm. uh, for renewable DME. Also, depending what market we go into, whether we blend for with propane or if we go to renewable hydrogen, there's opportunities well for credits there. So there's great opportunity. Um, and we stay, stay close to it as the rules are being written and provide comments like many other people do just to make sure that they, we aren't unintentionally excluded from it, that there's great opportunity for us on multiple fronts. Yeah, I would imagine that would be because, you know, just like we were talking about earlier, it's like, you know, gasoline, diesel, substitutes, LPG, blank spot. You know, and it's like, you know, like, huh, you know, but, but it's important to, so it, I mean, I guess, you know, from the, um, from Oberon's perspective, I mean, it's really, you know, technology neutrality is in, in these regulations are really, really important. It's a, it's a total example of why we need to be careful to ensure that, yeah, policies are tech, uh, you know, technologically neutral because you never know what's going to come out of the void in terms of technology development and application as, as you know, renewable um, RDME for hydrogen, renewable hydrogen sort of shows. Right. And that's where we think it's important just, you know, set the target. So what's the goal? Okay, the goal is reducing carbon intensity. Well, let us just shoot for that goal. Do you really care how we get there? Right. <laughs> right? What the feedstock is, what the technology pathway is, because as we say at Obron, you know, we're focused on waste conversion to renewable DME today. That's the innovative solution. If we continue to be successful and continue to drive more and more volumes in the market in five and 10 years, that's not innovative. Right. And we're going to keep pushing the envelope on how we further decarbonize. Right. So even when we are working with regulators, when possible, it's like, OK, let's have a carbon intensity target. Like encourage us to keep doing better. Let's not name molecules and pathways. Let's just help make the definition a future proof when possible. So it's not always easy to do, but it is really important that we think beyond the here and now 
so that we don't discourage innovation in the future. So last question, you have talked about, quote, decarbonization without disruption. So can you talk a little bit more um, about what you mean um, by that phrase? Yes, it's interesting, you know, when uh, we people think about innovation, generally they think about the new shiny object is something really cool that's being released. And so naturally, when we think about decarbonization, we think about something completely new. What is a completely new thing we're going to do to help the world decarbonize? Because we love new things and we love shiny objects. Um, but I think it's more important that we say, how are we going to decarbonize really quickly? And what do we have that already exists? that we can leverage to help that happen faster. And that comes back to our conversation earlier, Tammy, when we were talking about how do we leverage this global LPG infrastructure to move lower carbon molecules and, and make newer products and distribute them. And so when we think about decarbonization without disruption, it's about innovating, leveraging what we have today, the infrastructure, the tanks, dispenser, trucks, the knowledgeable workforce of 4 million people globally for the LPG industry, um, and to leverage that, to enable the world to keep having sources of energy. We don't want people all of a sudden, they're being uh, heated, they're off the grid, they need propane for heat in the winter time. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, that's possible, you, you can't heat your home. <laughs> that, that just doesn't make sense, right? And so how do we help them decarbonize but still get the energy they need um, for their world and whatever that world may look like. And so it's really about leveraging what we have today, continuing to innovate within those systems, but be able to do it in a faster way. So I, there's one really, really last question um, that I forgot to, to sort of uh, think about, but one we've been asking all of our, our guests. Um, and that is, you know, what is, you know, what is fun um, about this space to you? What's the best thing about being in, in this space? And what sort of keeps you going, um, you know, every day and why? So that's the really, really last question. <laughs> you know, there's there are many fun aspects about this space. And being able to do things that people haven't done before is really, truly amazing. Uh, I remember in graduate school, I was I spent two years trying to make a certain molecule. And it was supposed to encapsulate DNA to enable it to go into cells because the goal was eventually helping disease cells be cured. So I made this molecule, spent two years making it. And then I had to, I had to put it, transfect into cells. And then the way you were going to be able to tell if it worked, the cells were going to light up. So I waited the amount of time. I go into the microscope and I see the cells light up. Like it had worked and nobody had ever done this before. And so with what we're doing at Ocron, people haven't done this before. And we see real steel, real renewable DME molecules coming out of our facility, getting new partners, new continents engaged in renewable DME. It's, it's exciting. And the best part of it are the people you get to do it with. And some of the people I've been doing with have been over a decade. We've been in trenches together. Newer people are joining the team. And it's just really fun to see how innovation doesn't just enable industries to decarbonize, but it affects all of our lives and in a, in a makes our lives better. And we get to do something we're really proud of and talk to our children about because we're changing the world. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about what Oberon is doing. And I look forward to continuing to follow the company and, and all the great things that you're doing. 
Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for having me. It's been a, a great pleasure. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.